Hi, I'm Tony. I'm Patrick. And welcome to Cape to the Cross Apologetics. We are working our way through the book, Faith as Its Reasons, uh, an Integrative Approach to Defending the Christian Faith by Ken Boa and Robert Bowman. And we are in chapter nine, and we're uh, about a third of the way through, maybe half of the way through of chapter nine. And this chapter focuses on the evidentialist uh, uh approach to Christian apologetics. We looked at uh, the classical approach earlier, uh, several episodes, and now we're looking at the evidentialist approach. And so this chapter gives us uh, some common aspects of the evidentialist approach. And there are basically three that they want us to be aware of. First, uh, evidentialist focus on inductive as opposed to deductive argumentation. Right. So they look at inductive because it's based on the facts of the world. Right. And the facts of history. And so there's uh, and so there's no way to give deductive evidence for facts of history is what they're arguing. And so it focuses on induction as opposed to deduction. Secondly, uh, since it focuses on induction as a result of that, there's the uh, focus on the probability of the uh, conclusion of the argument. So that you don't have certainty because you're dealing with facts in the world or of the world. And so you have probability. And then thirdly, they uh, argue that uh, they want neutral, content neutral methods in order to examine the arguments. And uh, so they use you know, historical methods, uh, legal methods, and scientific methods as they uh, consider their various arguments. So those are the three main uh, you know, uh, aspects that our authors want us to know about how evidentialist apologetics work. Now we reach <clears throat> kind of an objection to the evidentialist's uh, position, right? And this is uh, you know, the postmodern challenge to evidentialism is what our authors want us to, to, to pay attention to. So what is the postmodern challenge to evidentialism? Uh, well, they, they tell us that evangelistic, um, evangelical rather, uh, evidentialist apologetics seeks to present evidence for the truth of Christianity using methods of inquiry that are in principle acceptable to non-Christians, right? That's what we saw. This methodological approach has come under frontal assault from postmodernism. In essence, postmodernism right, denies the modernistic belief that there is an objective truth about the world that can be discovered using reason. According to postmodernists, truth is subjective, not objective. Our knowledge of reality, reality is a construction that we kind of build up as we look at the world through our eyes and through the assumptions and experiences of our communities. Right, and so that's kind of the postmodernist view, and and uh, of uh, of the of how truth is is kind of gathered and understood. So why is this then a challenge uh, to the evidentialist? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Yeah, so therein lies the problem for evidentialism. If there is no universally recognized way of determining the truth, the evidentialist project of presenting evidence using an accepted method of established discipline can't even get off the ground mm. because sub accepted method no longer exists. So look, look, we're, we're, we're uh, <laughs> using the same method that you would use to convict a criminal. 
of, of, of committing a crime, of a capital crime, uh, of taking their life. We're, we're saying, no, no, let, let's come alongside and, and use the same type of, of, of argumentation and representation of the evidence. And the conclusion has to be to this high degree of probability. Or, no, 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 let, let's look at science. Science also has this problem uh, of, of induction, but we're, we're, we're used to uh, 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 putting our trust into the scientific method so that way when uh, outcomes occur and we're able to reproduce it, we're able to uh, have um, uh, peer members also uh, look at the methods and the, the outcomes, then we can have a high degree of confidence that we can uh, put our, our, our seats into this combustional uh, uh, explosive <laughs> power and move it along roadways and you can be confident that it will continue to go and not blow up. That's all out the window then, right? So the objective method of discovering truth cannot be used with people who believe that truth isn't discovered, but manufactured. So right. where do you go from there? Right. And so uh, our authors tell us that in general, evidentialists make common cause with classical apologetics. Uh, apologists in rejecting outright the relativism and subjectivism of postmodernism, uh, but both acknowledge that the rationalistic ideal of modernism does deserve criticism, <laughs> right? So yes, rationalism, the, the rationalistic idea, do, ideal rather, does de, uh, deserve criticism, as the postmodernists suggest, uh, right? Because people cannot find out the truth about God or any other ultimate issue in life through human reasoning and investigation alone. And so the postmodernists, you know, if that's the case, which seems to be the case, and that's what the evidentialists hold to, then postmodernists is left with no way at all to attain ultimate truth. Now, that's not true for the Christian. So you can make the criticism of, uh, you know, evidentialist kind of ideas that postmodernists make of, um, you know, the modernist ideal of rationalism. You can make that criticism, but if you're a postmodernist, you have nowhere to go now to find ultimate truth, right. right? For the Christian, though, on the other hand, the failure of modernism, this rationalistic ideal, uh, leaves us with revelation. And so uh, that's our way of... Uh, discovering the ultimate truth about God and the world. So the postmodernist has no way of discovering ultimate truth, if indeed their criticism of rationalism is true. The Christian can accept at least some of that criticism of rationalism, but yet we do have a way of discovering the truth. It's through the revelation that God has has given us. Right, right. So postmodernism, do better. Come up with the, the critique right. of revelation. There you go. <laughs> well, moreover, evidentialists like classical apologists stress the indispensability of reason as a means by which we are able to recognize God's revelation. While these apologists would deny that we can discover the truth about God on our own, they do contend that we can discover the truth of God's revelation by applying methods of such established disciplines as law, history, and science to the facts of Christianity. So again, bringing it back to the method. In order to make the case, uh, classical apologists directly confront what they regard as the self-defeating, irrational character of postmodernism. That is, they argue that postmodernism is forced to make absolute statements denying absolute truth. So <laughs> that's, that's right. the, 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 the classic of all classic uh, argumentation against postmodernists. There you go. There's no absolute truth. 
oh, absolutely. is that true? Yeah, yeah. kind of thing, right? Yes. So they're forced to make that kind of statement. So evidentialists endorse the criticism, right, this self-defeating notion of postmodernism that the classical apologists also uh, endorse. But their chief objection to it is that in everyday matters, people do not accept a pluralistic, <laughs> relativistic view of truth, right? Right. right? We don't say, well, you know, uh, the, the amount of money in my bank account is whatever somebody thinks it might be, right? Nobody <laughs> says that, right? Unless you're no. the United States government, yes. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, 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 you know, it's, uh, we don't discover it. We kind of create it. We'll try to tell that to the <laughs> bank, right? I'm going to create the amount of money in my uh <laughs> the yeah. illustration they use is they say that virtually all people are outraged when neo-Nazi groups, for instance, claim that the Holocaust never happened. Uh, so much for the postmodern claim that history is whatever people constructed to be, right? Or your <laughs> bank account is whatever you constructed to be. Nobody lives like that, right? right exactly. <laughs> yeah, e even, even I've heard uh, uh, postmodern uh, philosophers before say, well, yes, I do believe in this this uh, kind of postmodern idea of of unobjective truth. But w when I when I talk to people, I don't argue like that. Well, okay, then w what's your point? If 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 you can't if you can't go based off your method, then then d don't don't be a a, a a a status authority person to listen to, and 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 make claims. It, it's it's just an odd an odd predicament one finds uh, themselves in there. But uh, it, it does seem that postmodern seems to be more on, on the way out. And I, I hear I hear a little bit less of that, I think, uh, in the world. Well, OK, that, now we move on to the defense of theology. So what what importance does theology hold then to the evidentialists? Well, for evidentialists, apologetics is a discipline that seeks to present the factual evidences or basis for Christian faith in its every aspect. They join all apologists in seeing the nature of apologetics as dictated by the nature of the Christian faith. But they argue that this means that Christianity requires an evidential apologetics. And so here they offer two reasons, broadly speaking, for this assertion. Right. And so the first one is that they contend that since the Bible itself is a historical object, uh, its content can only be properly evaluated when objective history is taken seriously. Right. So the inductive method is the only entry, you know, <laughs> into a verifiable knowledge of the external world. And the Bible is part of that world. So that's the first thing. Moreover, the essential and distinctive truth claims of the Bible are historical claims, assertions that specific events took place in the past. And so this simple fact forces inductive argument upon us. And we saw that earlier when we were talking about their inductive and probability approach, right? They're looking at history and they're looking at the Bible and the, the Bible is a, to a certain extent, a historical account of what's, what God has done. And right. so we're kind of forced into this uh, inductive, uh, they believe, uh, approach. Right. So God has entered history and so uh, history must uh, uh, interact with him in that capacity. Well, that's the first one. So the second one is that evidentialists contend that apologetic arguments in scripture are evidential. Montgomery lists four types of these argumentations. Uh, the miracle, which is especially the resurrection, fulfilled prophecy, the inner experience of, of subjective immediacy, and natural theology of the empirical kind. 
In particular, he points uh, to the evidential use of the resurrection in the Christian apologetics of the first century church. The apostles argued for the truth of the resurrection by appealing to known facts, eyewitness testimony, and by correlating this empirical evidence with Old Testament prophecies fulfilled by Christ's death and resurrection. So, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the argumentation that uh, um, the Gospels make is uh, uh, both a eyewitness account, uh, you know, you have Luke uh, interviewing people and, and, and pointing to, to people who were, who were there, including women who, uh, if you're going to make it up, uh, are less likely to, to be uh, uh, people that you're going to want to, to uh, put the, the, the burden on to be the first witnesses. And then to point back to uh, a, a, um, a, a foundation experience of, of, of uh, what what uh, what should have been expected? So, uh, the, looking back at the Old Testament, and saying, "Look, from from Genesis up to Malachi, we have uh, these these prophecies that need to come to fulfillment of of who the Messiah would be. Uh, Jesus seems to be that Messiah. He seems to fulfill all the requirements, and then on top of that, he rises from the dead, and um, we can look at that as a historical event that happened in history. Let's apply our standard." Uh, we have confidence in it, and it's probably uh, most likely that it did happen, and we can put our faith in it. All right. Now, notice this, and, and I think this is an important point for uh, the evidentialist uh, uh, apologetic position. They want to contend that the apologetic arguments in Scripture are based on evidentialists. Right. And so they they make the Montgomery gives us this list of four arguments. And he says, look, this is the way Scripture argues. And we're just following what Scripture does. Right. And I think that's kind of an important point. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. If, if you know, if one dismisses evidentialist uh, as an approach, you have to kind of deal with, well, does Scripture, how does Scripture do it? Because obviously we want to do it the way that Scripture does it, right? <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think I think a, a lot of uh, uh, apologetics gets down to, well, the Bible says that we are to do it this way, and it uh, it seems like uh, we, we run amok of each other when, when we, we <laughs> yeah. do that. Yeah. So uh, our authors tell us, admitted, admittedly, an evidentialist apologetic cannot provide absolute proof uh, or compel faith, but this evidentialist argued is as it should be. Absolute proof of the truth of Christ's claims is available only in a personal relationship with him. But uh, contemporary man has every right to expect us to offer solid reasons for making such a total commitment. Right. So the facts give us good reason to make a commitment to the claims of Christ. Right. We, they're not absolute proof, but they give their high probability. Mm -hmm. right? right. And so the apologetic task is not to construct a rational substitute for faith, but to provide a factual ground for faith. Thus, although uh, the facts cannot compel faith, they can leave people without a legitimate excuse for not coming to faith. The facts say this, they're confirmed by our various methods, and therefore you don't have an excuse not to accept them. That's the idea here. Right. All right, well, uh, we've, uh, we've critically used uh, uh, um, philosophy and uh, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, of, of evidence and uh, of uh, trying to be this uh, content neutral position. We've talked about the uh, use of uh, theology and now we're talking about the critical use of philosophy. 
and that evidentialists generally disapprove of the kind of philosophical apologetics that seeks to uh, construct a deductive system of proof for Christianity. But this does not mean, however, that evidentialism is hostile to all philosophy. So it's, it's not that uh, they reject philosophy. Oh, you know, there's too much reason in the world uh, today. We just need to deal with the facts. No, that's, that's not actually the case. Uh, the, so their rejection is, isn't, uh, isn't of all philosophy here. Well, the difference between classical apologists and evidentialists may be identified from one perspective as uh, the difference between two broad uh, conceptions of the task of philosophy. The speculative or constructive view of philosophy understands that the task to be uh, to construct a comprehensive view of knowledge, reality, and values. In this conception of philosophy, it is a, a discipline of thought in its own right and yields knowledge not found in other disciplines. Right. So one way to consider what philosophy does is that it constructs in its own discipline knowledge, right? That's one way to view it. Uh, but in, our authors tell us in the 20th century, a number of philosophers questioned this historic understanding of the task of philosophy. In its place, they contended for the analytical or critical conception of philosophy. Right. And so according to which this, the, the task of philosophy is to not construct knowledge, but to clarify the meaning of knowledge claims and to assess the rationality of those claims, right? So in this conception, philosophy, philosophy is strictly speaking a kind of second order discipline that does not yield knowledge of its own, but simply examines and clarifies the knowledge claims of uh, other first order disciplines, right? And so this analytical, critical kind of conception of philosophy is the other kind of way that the 20th century has moved with regard to philosophy. And so for most philosophers who advocate this view, the primary, if not the only first order disciplines are the sciences. Uh, you know, including both the natural sciences like physics and chemistry and biology and so forth, and the human sciences like psychology and sociology and history, uh, et cetera. And so that then is the kind of the two uh, ways to approach what philosophy is and what philosophy does. Does it construct its view, uh, you know, construct its own content, construct its own understanding of the world? Is that what philosophy is supposed to do? Or is it a second order discipline that looks at other first order disciplines and kind of analyzes and critiques those orders to help clarify the meanings and that sort of thing, right? right? right. So those are the kind of two approaches that they suggest philosophy uh, has. Right. Boy, biology being mixed in with sociology. I'm, I'm sure both those uh, uh, disciplines <laughs> just just enjoy that uh, aspect. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have math on top of that. So you have math that yeah. we think, oh, yes, uh, you know, we, we, we do math to get an answer that, uh, you know, gets us to the moon or the number of apples in a basket. <laughs> but then you do math for the sake of math that then you're like, well, here, here's a proof. I'm proving a triangle. Uh, okay, <laughs> cool. So, so may, maybe math is our outlier there. <laughs> <laughs> well, evidentialists generally reject the constructive view and embrace the analytical or critical view, for in their apologetic, the sciences provide the evidence for the truth claims of Christianity. So they're going to take the secondary approach here. Since the evidence of Christianity must come from first-order disciplines, such as history and science, the main role of philosophy for the evidentialist is to expose and critique what Montgomery calls bad philosophy. Ooh, that bad philosophy. <laughs> 
evidentialists critique non-Christian worldviews and philosophies, not primarily by demonstrating logical incoherence, as in classical apologetic critiques, but by showing that these systems of thought are resistant to or incapable uh, or incompatible, uh, however, with the facts. So, oh, this doesn't match up with the facts. You can throw it out. That's the bad philosophy. And so what they want to do and what authors tell us is they, they have this section, uh, Christianity Vindicated by Science. And they tell us that up until the 18th century, apologetics was modeled on philosophy, which was generally deductive in form. Philosophy until that time was a much broader term that it, than it is now. It included the study of the natural world, and it was called natural philosophy, Right. And so Isaac Newton didn't see himself as a scientist. He saw himself as a natural philosopher. That's just what they called it then, right? Mm -hmm. However, as disciplines of study became more specialized, the sciences, sciences emerged as distinct branches of knowledge, increasingly differentiated from philosophy by their inductive empirical method. And so it was natural then for apologists to begin modeling their apologetic after the increasingly successful disciplines of empirical science. And so that's what they began to do as the, you know, the age of enlightenment and the scientific, uh, uh, you know, revolution began to take place. Right. Just follow the science. It won't lead you astray ever. <laughs> that's right. Follow the science. <laughs> <laughs> See, look, YouTube, we, we, we talked about it. There you go. <laughs> Well, the technological revolutions of the 19th and 20th centuries have made the coherence of the Christian worldview with modern science one of the most significant issues in Christian apologetics. It's 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 something uh, that if you're talking with your friend with, that's probably going to be uh, the area that you're going to kind of talk about uh, the history of something or or uh, the uh, compatibility or incompatibility with the science uh, that's known. And so um, this, this has come kind of to the forefront of, of apologetics. Well, widespread disdain for and distrust of abstract reasoning in general and deductive philo philosophical arguments in particular have brought the classical theist arguments into dispute. In place of these, Christian apologetics have increasingly relied on empirical scientific arguments for the existence of God and the defense of the biblical worldview. Well, there was that. All right, and then uh, just before they end the chapter here, there's a couple, just two more sections, I believe. Um, they talk about history as the medium of uh, revelation. Uh, so they tell us that uh, it is in the area of history where most evidentialists seek primarily to ground their apologetics. So it's a his history, historical approach. The most basic reason evidentialists ground their apologetic in history is because the revelation of God that they're seeking to defend is essentially historical, right? And so history is uh, the medium of revelation. Our knowledge of God then comes from his acts in history. And so history then is, uh, you know, what is used, the area where most uh, evidentialists seek to ground their apologetics. Right, right. So God enters into history, he reveals himself either in, in, in word or in action, and uh, uh, we're able to look back through the pages of the Bible like we are able to look back at the uh, the, the 
the history of the American people and um, where we are at today uh, is governed by who we were at the beginning and, and throughout and these periods of, of historical events. And so the Christian also looks back and sees the succession of events uh, up till today and your place in history and then going forward. Well, the evidentialist appeal <clears throat> to historical facts should not be uh, construed as naively expecting non-Christians to recognize the significance of the facts without resistance. Evidentialists emphasize that the, there is a subjective dimension to the interpretation of history, as there always is. Specifically, they point out that uh, persons holding implicitly or explicitly to philosophies of history that are uh, in, inimical uh, to the Christian worldview will not be open to the historical facts that verify that Christian worldview. They find it necessary then to uh, subject such philosophies of history to critique and to explicate a Christian philosophy of history. However, the conviction that historical uh, facts do carry their interpretations, i.e. the facts in themselves provide adequate criteria for choosing among variant interpretations of them, is essential both to Christian and to general historiography. So, you know, you, you, you come up with an idea uh, that uh, two warring armies uh, have, have come into uh, battle. You're going to get two histories because uh, <laughs> theoretically uh, there's going to be uh, uh, two, two areas writing about it. Uh, and we usually say, uh, you know, to, to, to the winner goes uh, the ability to write history. Uh, but that's not <laughs> that's not always the case. And so, uh, you know, uh, are, are the are the are the east side uh, the, the, the villains or are they the heroes or are the, the west side the barbarians or are they the the uh, the freedom fighters? And so uh, we're, we're, what, what do we do when we approach uh, these uh, different uh, um, areas of critique in, in history? Right. And so notice the, the evidential is suggesting that the facts in themselves provide adequate criteria for choosing among variant interpretations of them. So the facts they're claiming speak for themselves <laughs> and they give us the criteria in order to help us to choose you know, which interpretation is the correct interpretation. That's the claim that they're making here, right? Right, right. just uh, so, like the Civil War, uh, you know, that's the, right. the, we, we definitely don't have different ways to call the Civil War, you know, the war against states, Lincoln's War, the, the war of Northern aggression, we definitely do not have those, it's just the facts. That's right, and they speak, they speak and they give us the criteria. You know, that's what the evidentialists are suggesting. Exactly. And so, uh, according to Montgomery, a Christian philosophy of history is needed if history is to be interpreted properly as to its ultimate significance. However, this Christian philosophy of history is not to be used as the basis on which the historical events of the New Testament are defended, because, of course, that would be viciously circular, right? Rather, these principles of historiography are based on the verifiable reality of Jesus' death and resurrection and provide a guide for interpreting the rest of human history. So notice the verifiability of the reality of Jesus' death and resurrection, that particular historical event provides a guide for interpreting the rest of human history. In addition, they tell us the apologists must employ a Christian philosophy of history as a benchmark against which non-Christian presuppositions about history that distort or reject the gospel events can be uh, exposed. Right, 
Right. Uh, so, you know, we look at um, um, the ideas of the resurrection for the, the Muslims. And so the, uh, they have a, uh, an idea that, you know, uh, Jesus didn't really die on the cross, uh, that uh, that he, he either swooned or was uh, replaced. And so uh, it's up to the Christian to uh, present uh, counterfactuals or, or uh, uh, interpretation scheme to, to show those as being uh, uh, wrong critiques of, of the evidence uh, at hand. All right, well, and then finally, the experience found on evidence is uh, where our authors are going to land on last year, and that uh, evidentialism recognizes the importance of experience in the Christian life. Christian faith is not merely an intellectual acceptance of facts about Christ. Again, uh, we're not Spock. We don't we don't uh, put the, the Scantron into uh, the, the, the feed tube into us, and we read it, and we say, uh, yep, 87% likely that Christ rose from the dead. I will assume the fact is true and therefore uh, become a Christian. No. Ex uh, personal experience of a relationship with Christ is exactly what's uh, what's called here. It's, it's not uh, merely an intellectual acceptance of the fact, but a personal experience. But evidentialists generally hold that Christian experience is not self-validating. Robert uh, Sabbath makes the point, he says that the mere fact that a uh, psychological event has taken place in one's brain cannot establish the truth of any metaphysical assertion. The assertion, God exists, does not follow from the assertion, I had an experience of God. Simply because experience, uh, experiences admit to radically different interpretations. Yeah. And, and again, what, what's, what's history? Is it not a different experiences of events that happen. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then the telling of history is the mm. various interpretations okay. of those events. All right. All right. Just, just want to make but, sure we remember hey. that quote for later. <laughs> <laughs> and so, for the purposes for which apologists present non-Christians with evidence, according to the, uh, the uh, evidentialists, um, the purpose is to bring them to the point where they have a credible basis for believing the gospel, right? Uh, but for the subjective experience and insurance, assurance rather, of its truth, uh, that comes from the Holy Spirit when a person responds to the evidence and comes to faith, right? So they have a kind of two-pronged kind of idea here, right? Mm -hmm. The purpose uh, for apologetics is to present, uh, you know, credible basis for believing the gospel. The subjective experience and assurance of its truth comes as a result of the Holy Spirit when a person responds to the evidence and comes to faith. And so according to Montgomery, the evidence brings non-believers to a point of decision in which then they have a good ground for trying Christianity. It does not force anyone to believe. Right. And so that's kind of the evidentialist approach with regard to apologetics. Right. You know, it's 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 why uh, uh, Christians uh, spread uh, spread the message through the word, not through the sword. Uh, when they do spread it through the sword, it's usually the state uh, doing so. And uh, um, uh, you, you can only poke people's uh, uh, Pascal wagering so much. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, you, you don't dunk somebody's head under the water uh, until they believe uh, in, in, in Jesus. That's uh, that's uh, that's not the way to go. First, you believe in Jesus. Then you get dunked uh, under the water. So that's how it works. Right. So, sorry, Presbyterians. Sorry. <laughs>
Well, all right. Uh, that, that's the end of our uh, uh, chapter nine of, of looking at exactly what um, our, our um, uh, evidentialist apologetic method uh, kind of looks at. And so uh, next uh, for chapter 10 is uh, then presenting the evidence uh, um, uh, in, in our um, same method that the classical approach took as well uh, and seeing the differences then uh, that have uh, that uh, are are there uh, with the evidential approach and uh, and then we'll be halfway through uh, our, our look at the uh, evidences uh, uh, once uh, once we get through uh, this portion so um, uh, I'm not sure yet uh, where the release date is for this so uh, either uh, we're at the beginning of the year or at the end of the year um, uh, you know it's it's all relative there's there's no such thing as truth <laughs> of time uh, yeah uh, so um, so uh, no matter where we're at uh, uh, hopefully you've uh, enjoyed the book and we'll continue uh, with us and uh, we'll uh, just uh, uh, say uh, th thanks for continuing to watch and uh, being part of our book study and um, uh, allowing me to to, to uh, huh? uh, monopolize Tony's time a little bit more uh, <laughs> yeah. so, reading the book. so no matter where we're at that's where we are exactly yeah exactly. <laughs> and we've never moved because time is relative <laughs> well, thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time we'll see you next time